Thanks so much for tuning in to the Mooney Ponds Baptist Church Podcast. Here we upload our weekly teachings that happen every Sunday at our 10 a.m. service. If we can help you in any way, feel free to reach out to us and check out our website at mpbc.org.au. Well, good morning, friends. I take it that our Bible reading and I trust will be both a blessing and a challenge to us all this morning. It's from Luke chapter 16, verses 1 to 13, and taken from the New International Version. Jesus told his disciples there was a rich man whose master was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, oh, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management, because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, What shall I do now? My master is taking away my job, and I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do, so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So, he called to each one of his master's debtors, and he asked the first, How much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450. Then he asked the second, How much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, Take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he'd acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will you give your property of your own? No man can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Well, it is great to be here at uh, Mooney Ponds. Uh, and uh, to join you in your worship this morning, and also to come and share a bit of the ministry of Baptist World Aid and the mission that we're on together um, as the Baptist Churches um, of Australia's International Aid Organisation. So as I've been introduced, I'm Paul Manning, and I'm the Church Relationship Manager for Victoria and Tasmania, or as I say when I'm in Tasmania, 
for Tasmania and Victoria. So it just depends on where, which state I'm in at the time. I'd like to thank Ian for the opportunity to come and, uh, and be with you and share with you today. Um, I was um, fortunate enough to go to uh, Nepal uh, last month in October, September, October, uh, for 14 days and uh, get to see our projects and what, um, what mission and ministry we're doing there in Nepal. Um, it was a, a very insightful, uh, challenging uh, and encouraging week. So I'd like to sh start off by sharing a few stories of people that I, um, that I had the opportunity to sit with and listen to and hear uh, and hear from. The first is um, a husband and wife, Nabin and Dasari. Uh, they have five children and their life was a struggle. Both, um, both worked as labourers and yet they were still just surviving with them both working. And that was until um, Dasari um, was able to join a women's self-help group that was run by one of our local partners. And eventually she was able to get a startup grant of 250 US dollars because they were identified as being ultra poor, uh, which I found quite challenging and amazing because here I am in, in their community, which I was already thinking was poor and a community of poverty. And within that, they were identified as being ultra poor. So they were given, so what they were able to do with that grant was set up the bicycle shop, which you can see uh, there, which repaired bicycles and maintained bicycles. This meant that their work was consistent because before it wasn't. So they were labourers, sure, but it, they weren't always guaranteed work. Now they had consistent work. And their income went from 500 rupee per month to 1,000 rupee per day. That's the that's impact that, um, that it's had on their family. Then I was able to um, sit down and listen to Javan, and he is a 26-year-old young man, uh, and he had polio when he was four months old. And so that meant that his legs were uh, permanently affected, and he was living with that disability. He and his family, they didn't know how he was ever going to be able to work. Now, that was quite challenging for them because he was the oldest son. Who's the oldest son in this room? Hands up if you're the oldest son. So the expectation in that culture is that you don't provide for just your family, you provide for the family um, also. And here he was challenged and they're going, well, how is that ever going to happen? Well, that all changed when he joined the youth club that was organised by one of our local partners and he was given a grant um, to be part of the, um, the livelihood programme. And so he was able to go and get electrical training and, uh, and, and due to his disability, he was given a grant of $350 to be able to set up a business and he set up an electrical repair business. And so for, that, for him, it meant that um, he was able to earn 9,000 to 10,000 rupee per month. So he was able to begin, uh, begin contributing to the family as it was expected of him. And he also said that before all this happened, all he did was stay at home. He got a 26-year-old, all he did was stay at home. 
He had, there was no purpose in his life. Uh, and his life was quite empty. So not only was he financially changed, but he was also socially changed um, also. So that was encouraging. He actually says that now people, now the youth club actually come and meet at his workplace because of his mobility issues. So his whole life has opened up and changed. And then another, another, um, another uh, young woman, and I've got at least another 12 stories. Um, I haven't written them up yet. So this is just the tip of the iceberg of the people that I was able to meet. Rashani, Rashani, she, um, she was, um, she is deaf. Uh, so she can't speak. She can sign. Uh, she was married, but, and sadly, she recently had a miscarriage. And then following her miscarriage, her husband abandoned her. And so here she is in this, um, in this life experiencing um, sadness and, and, uh, and just devastation and struggle because of what she's been through, because of the relational changes. Uh, and she was able to, though, in the midst of that, connect with a self-help group that was run by one of our local Christian partners. And, and through, um, through that group, she was given opportunity to have four months training to increase her skills in making clothes, but also designing clothes too. And then on top of that, she was given all the equipment that she needed. So that meant the sewing machine, the overlocker, the scissors, the iron, the ironing board, everything she needed to set up a tailoring business, she was given. And also on top of that, she was also and continues to get the support. So if the sewing machine or overlocker breaks down, then that will be repaired for her so she can continue her, um, her business. And so she's been given a purpose uh, in life. She's been given opportunity. And she's also been given um, a way of earning income too. And she's, um, she's currently able to, um, to earn about 6,000 6, rupee per month. So listening to, listening to their stories, to Nabin and Dasari's story, to Javan and um, Razani's story. I mean, we hear, we hear how their lives has been changed, but we're also reminded in their story that the world is not as God intends. It is a broken world that we are all living in. That, that was referred to earlier in our worship time of, of why we're living in a broken world. And you don't even need me to tell you that, really. If you turned on the news this morning uh, to watch over breakfast, then you already know and you're reminded yet again that it's a broken world. Much of this brokenness is a reflection of our broken relationship with God and with each other and with creation. You see, as we've heard earlier, God created us in his image to be in a loving relationship with him and with others as we steward creation appropriately in a way that leads to mutual flourishing both for human and non-human creation, allowing both to fulfil their God-given purpose and, importantly, for shalom to be experienced. 
Now, we usually take the word shalom to mean peace. But its true meaning is far more than just peace. Tim Keller in Generous Justice, he says this, Shalom means complete reconciliation, a state of the fullest flourishing in every dimension, physical, emotional, social, and spiritual. Because all relationships are right, perfect, and filled with joy. You know, recently I heard a quote, and it stood out, so I had to Google it to find out who actually said it because often you don't get the real original source. And it turned out it was Martin Luther King Jr. in Montgomery, Alabama on the 25th of March, 1965. And he said this, true peace is not merely the absence of conflict, tension. It is the presence of justice. You see, this is pointing out that shalom is actually a goal of justice. But when it comes to justice, what does God require of us personally and corporately? Well, first of all, we learn from Scripture that God requires us, his people, to seek and to act justly. In Micah uh, 6.8, It says, he, God, has shown you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you to act justly, to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. And then in Isaiah 1.17, it says this, learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, Plead the case of the widow. And Jeremiah 22.3 says, This is what the Lord says. Do what is just and right. Rescue from the hand of the oppressor the one who has been robbed. Do no wrong or violence to the foreigner, the fatherless or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place. God requires his people, that's us, to seek and to act justly. Now, here's something that you may or may not know. Justice, doing what is right and just, is also identified by God as the most acceptable act of worship. In Proverbs 21.3, it says, do what is right and just, sorry, to do what is right and just is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice, which was their way of worship at the time. And Amos 5, 21 to 24 says, I hate, I despise your festivals. This is God speaking. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. But let justice roll on like a river and righteousness 
like a never-ending stream. God requires his people to act justly. He's identified it as, um, as, a, a, as an acceptable act of worship. And then there's Jesus. Jesus, who showed his heart for justice in what he did. In the gospel, we see Jesus intentionally seeking out women and men and children who are experiencing injustice so that he can actually bring them into a place of belonging, wholeness, a place of abundant life. It's Jesus who shows his heart for justice in what he said. And we see this particularly when Jesus said, this is the most important commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbour as yourself. There is no commandments greater than these. That is, to do justice, love, mercy, kindness and walk humbly with God to do what is just and right. We do this as we love God and love others as we love ourselves. This means responding to Jesus' command to love, we actively pursue justice for all people, particularly the poor and the vulnerable and the powerless who are exploited by others. For this reason, Tim Keller in, in the book again, Generous Justice, he urges Christians to learn to, to actually lean in to doing justice. He says doing justice then requires constant, sustained reflection and circumspection. If you are a Christian and you refrain from committing adultery or using profanity or missing church but you don't do the hard work of thinking through how to do justice in every area of life, you are failing to live just, justly and righteously. Jesus expects his followers to be doing justice, specifically biblical justice, which Tim Killer identifies as characterised by radical generosity, by universal equality and by life-changing advocacy. So it's worth having a look at what do each of those components of biblical justice mean and how do we respond to them. You know, while secular um, individualism says that your money belongs to you, and socialism says your money belongs to the state. The Bible says that all your money and possessions belongs to God, who then entrusts them to you. We heard earlier um, Luke 16, 1 to 13 be read out, which is identified as the parable of the shrewd manager. Now, in this parable... Jesus is calling us to be wise managers of our money and possessions. 
Now, here's, here's something we need to know. A manager was responsible for and looked after an estate on behalf of the owner of the estate. This made them both the boss, because they had people working for them, but also a servant, because they worked for the owner. Jesus' parable reminds us that our wealth belongs to us and yet does not belong to us. Jesus finished this parable by saying, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. That is, if our money and possessions is the focus, the priority of our lives, then it will be difficult for us to be able to practice radical generosity. And radical generosity, what it means is your money and possessions, yes, they're your own and, and no person nor state must take them from you. Yet you have a moral obligation to both God and also your neighbour to use your money and possessions unselfishly and with great generosity to love others with your money and possessions according to both your ability and also their need. Radical generosity. Biblical justice, though, also requires us to treat each and every person by the same standard and with the same respect, regardless of class and race and ethnicity, nationality, gender, or any of the other social categories that we can come up with today. Universal equality, it is made clear in Genesis 1.27, which tells us that all human beings were created in the image of God. Every single one of us in this room was created in the image of God. It does not matter how much we own, how much we did own, what positions we hold in society, where we've come from, what culture we were born into. There's a common thread which is we've all been created in the image of God. And throughout the Bible, universal equality is assumed. Here's a few examples. Proverbs 22, 2. <clears throat> It says, the rich and poor have this in common. The Lord made them both. It's very simple, isn't it? And then James 2, uh, verses uh, 1 to 4 and then 6 says, we're told believers in, believers in our glorious Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Jesus showed universal equality. He regularly challenged the social sensibilities of the day by receiving and treating all people with equal love and respect. Through the parable of the Good Samaritan, Jesus makes clear that all people have equal dignity and worth regardless of their race, religion or social class. Jesus started a near riot 
when he declared that God loved Gentiles, such as the widow of um, Zarephath or Naaman the Syrian, that he loved them as much as he loved Jews. And he reached out and, and to lepers who were social outcasts, touching them and defying the contemporary prohibitions. Jesus exhorted his disciples to not only be generous to the poor, but also to welcome them into their homes and into their families. Now remember, hospitality, lots of rules around hospitality. Hospitality in that time, it was an act of friendship. It was an act of partnership. And it was shocking to treat the poor as equals in such a way. But Jesus said to his disciples, this is what you need to do. Jesus showed universal equality in what he said and in what he did and in what he commands. He calls us to do the same. He expects that from us. Biblical justice is characterised by radical generosity. It's characterised by universal equality as well as life-changing advocacy. We are to have special concern for the poor and the weak and the powerless. Proverbs 38, 31, sorry, 8 to 9 says, Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. Proverbs 29, 7 reminds us the righteous care about justice for the poor, but the wicked have no such concern. And then Psalm 41, 1 says, Blessed is the one who considers the weak and the poor. <clears throat> now, the word translated considers means believers are to pay close attention to the weak and the poor, seeking to actually understand the cause of their condition and to spend significant time and energy to changing their life situation. That's what that word is. Blessed is the one who considers the weak and the poor. You know, life-changing advocacy, it means that we direct, we direct relief to meeting material needs. You see that in the parable of the Good Samaritan. The Samaritan helped the, the fellow with his immediate needs. He needed medical care, he needed a place to stay, etc., etc. That's what life-changing advocacy involves. It also involves empowering people to self-sufficiency. And we heard that in the three stories that um, I told from people who experienced that in Nepal. And I saw many communities changed and empowered in that way. Another story is we met um, with a group of women from a self-help group <clears throat> and we were with them, with them for two hours. We sat on concrete for two hours. I realised next time I go to Nepal, I will have to do stretching classes before I go there because getting up off the floor, in fact, the last day in the last group, we turned up, this is for day 14, turned up, and it was outside, it was a hot day, and it was beautiful under the trees and all, but they'd set up their lovely mats on the ground, and I just went, oh, there's no, I just can't do it anymore. I'll stand. 
I'll stand. And they must have seen our faces because they all ran off and got us chairs. Anyway, these women, the guy who led the, um, who, who, um, our, our, um, our local partner leader, he says, he reflected at the end, he goes, you know, when I first came and met with you, you wouldn't look at me, you wouldn't talk to me, you wouldn't talk to each other. We would sit in silence and struggle to get words out for a long time. Now, can I tell you, these women, that's the women that's been on the last three photos. That's them. What they're doing right there is they are actually throwing at us, so I'm taking the photo, flowers. Now, petals. Well, they weren't all petals, let me tell you. I'm glad I had glasses on. That's all I can say. So we were basically being pelted with petals and everything else that came from the garden that they could grab. But it was a form and they sung to us and all. They, they did not keep quiet for the whole two hours. They laughed. They told stories. They shared on their life to total strangers. That's where they've come from. Empowerment to self-sufficiency. And then life-changing advocacy also involves challenging social structures that disadvantage poor and the marginalised. Now, we see Jesus do this. He commanded that um, his followers were to abandon the, pa the patronage system. They weren't to be part of that, which was a culturally appropriate um, system for them. Paul continues with this, and he says, you are forbidden, Christians, you are forbidden from participating in man-stealing. That's stealing each other's servants. You can't do it that way. You're forbidden from doing that. So it was social structures which, which disadvantage the poor and the marginalised. We're to challenge those too. God requires us, you and me, his people, followers of Jesus, to seek and act justly. He's even identified that doing what's right and just is a most acceptable form of worship. Jesus showed his heart for justice in what he did, and what he said, and he expects his followers to be doing justice, to practice biblical justice, which is characterised by um, radical generosity, by universal equality, and by life-changing advocacy. Listen to some of the ways that Baptist World Aid have been doing justice. In Cambodia, one of our partners established 10 child clubs where young people can learn together. The youth from the community also now have opportunities to build leadership skills, to guide younger children, and actually contribute to the community development that's happening. Nepal, after promoting education amongst members of a self-help group, like the one I just talked about, 90% of their children are now at school, including 88 girls of parents who previously believed girls should not be educated. Our partner is also providing resources for 13 rural schools and also training for 46 teachers. In Uganda, our partner provided eight health facilities with medical equipment and also supported community health volunteers. Our partner reported there was an increase in the rate of births attended by a skilled birth attendant from 67% to 80%. Now, why is that important? 
because that means there's more children who are surviving and there's more mothers who are surviving childbirth. In Bangladesh, 2,175 farmers in one project received training on vegetable and goat farming techniques. And this increased productivity in 95% of these households, providing more income and more food for their family. And then in Uganda, 200 people from communities were trained in disaster risk reduction. They learnt how to make use of a seasonal calendar in planning in case of disaster and how to improve their resilience if and when it occurs. These are just a few examples of how Baptist World Aid Australia has been doing justice, has practised biblical justice of radical generosity, of universal equality and of life-changing advocacy. And, you know, you can be part of doing justice with Baptist World Aid. You can be part of the love-giving, life-changing mission and ministry of Baptist World Aid. You can be part of loving and bringing positive change to people like Nabin and Dasari, Javan and also Rashani in Nepal. And here's some ways that you and I can be part of doing justice with Baptist World Aid. We believe that prayer is an important part of our Christian response to injustice and to oppression that we see in our world. And you can join us as we pray and as we petition God to right injustice and enable people everywhere to live life to the full in Jesus' name. You can collect one of these or download one, um, the, the prayer calendar. They come out twice a year. So this one's nearly ended. So, um, so if you haven't got one, take one because they're only going to be thrown out. So you might as well use it. You guys might as well use it for December, I reckon. Uh, and it just helps you pray for the work that we're in. Really, all of us could do that, couldn't we? Then there's the ethical fashion guide. Who's heard of the ethical fashion guide? There's never, not, never, never enough people. Surprise. You know, ethical fashion, the way that we actually produce clothes and shoes and the endless demand for more, it's very ironic after Black Friday, isn't it, is having a detrimental impact on local communities, on their land and on the waterways, and even on the air that they breathe. With the industry responsible for up to 10% of the world's greenhouse gas emissions, it is a problem that actually affects us all. So we've lifted the lid through the Ethical Fashion Report and Guide on an industry um, and to determine what is happening in the supply chains and in the factories that produce our fashion. And this guide involves 120 country, uh, companies, which represent 600 brands. You're probably aware that one company can own dozens of brands. Uh, so that's um, so 600 brands. And we have seen 
and want to, we have seen change and want to bring around more change um, on an industry that is unjust, that is abusive, that pays low wage, and that is actually um, vulnerable and does participate in modern slavery, particularly in supply of raw materials. This ethical guide that I've got, you can have a look at your favourite companies that you um, or brands that you purchase and um, are dedicated to and see how they rate. And then you can respond accordingly. You can write to them. You can stop buying their stuff. And this, in this guide and report, the 2022 one, our shoes were the, um, were, are now, footwear is now included too. Now we can all be involved in that. So pick up one. If you've got grandkids or um, or other young people in your, uh, young adults in your life, they love this stuff, pick up one. But we should all love this stuff we can bring about change. I can speak for another hour just on that. So if you want to know more about how that's actually changed, invite me back. I can do that just on the ethical fashion. And then, um, and then me and Ma, you would have received one of these cards um, as you walked in. Again, a very simple way of participating in life-changing advocacy. This is to write to our government, as you see, to send to our foreign minister, Penny Wong, and um, to petition for them, for the Australian government to actually respond in a way that the governments of the USA, Singapore, Canada, the UK, in sanctioning um, the main areas of finance, to cut that off. Um, the European Parliament, how about our Australian government actually represent the actually recognise the legitimate government that is now in exile, and also to increase the pressure on India to stop funding weapons. So you can you can do that now if you sign if you write your name and sign and then drop that card at my table, um, I'll post them. You don't even have to do anything except do that today. These are already hitting Penny Wong's office. They will bring about change. You can be part of that change. You can tell your family and friends, I was part of that change. You can take some. To, we're all meeting with family and friends over the next weeks. I know stories where they've turned up and they've said to all their adult kids that have come around for dinner and they've popped a pile on with a pen and said, here, all sign this. They've signed it, shuffled it all up, then served dinner, whatever way it takes to get signatures. We can be part of life change for Myanmar and change that. Do you know, um, we have 56, it is disputed, 52 to 56 um, Burmese churches in our Baptist Union. These are our brothers and sisters. I sat down with them, with some of their leaders on Thursday, and I listened to their stories of what was happening right now. And each time I've done that throughout this year, it is just actually beyond imagination. I, I just can't comprehend why or, or, and how this is happening as we sit in the comfort of where I'm hearing these stories, knowing they're telling of their families and what they've had to go through and are going through. And so we can be part of bringing change for them. That's just being part of life-changing advocacy. And then there's child sponsorship, where, um, where you can be part of supporting our community development, which all those three, um, those three, um, although those 
those stories that I was able to share with you were all benefit of our community development. And why don't we watch, um, <clears throat> watch a video now um, and see Shanoli talk about her experience of being a child sponsor. Every morning, my mum wakes me up so I can get to school on time. She makes me breakfast so I have lots of energy to learn and play with my friends. I work hard at school so I can be wherever I want when I grow up. And at lunchtime, I eat my sandwich fast so I can play with my friends. But did you know there are girls who don't get to have a childhood like I do? How come? That doesn't seem fair. Girls like Shinoli, who lives in a country called Nepal, near the Himalayan mountains. Her family had a really hard time, especially during COVID. She was sad a lot and didn't feel good about things. But when someone in Australia became a child sponsor for Shinoli, everything changed. Now Shinoli goes to a child and youth club in her village so she can learn, make friends and make plans. You know what? You can become a child sponsor so children like Shinoli can dream big dreams. Because Baptist World Aid has lots of child and youth clubs all over the world to help other kids who don't have very much, where poverty makes their life hard for them. But these clubs help a lot. Isn't that cool? Oh, and Shinoli loves animals, just like me. But hers provide milk for the family to drink and sell so they don't have to be hungry. I hope you can become a child sponsor so children like Shinoli can know someone cares about them. I think that would help them when it's hard or if COVID comes back. I don't like COVID. If you can please become a child sponsor today, she can live like Jesus wants her to with food and hope and friends. Baptist World Aid can help you be a child sponsor. This will make everything better so she can have a better life too. So you can pick up from, um, from Shinoli's story how child sponsorship through Baptist World Aid, it doesn't just impact the child that you're sponsoring. It impacts all the children in their family, their whole family, their whole village and community um, is impacted by um, the, the, the community development pro, pro, programs which, uh, which are in their village. Uh, so if you want to be part of um, and partner with Baptist World Aid through child sponsorship, you know, there's, um, there's Rishti, she's in Bangladesh, uh, or there's um, uh, 
Lan, he's in uh, Cambodia, and uh, we also are in Uganda and also Nepal. Uh, and so if you'd like to um, partner with, uh, with a child today, then come and see me at, um, at the um, uh, little table that I've got as you walk to morning tea. Uh, and if you want any more information on, on the mission and ministry of Baptist World Aim, I'm happy to, um, to um, pass that on to you also. And today, because it is only, sure it is only four weeks till Christmas, so, um, so I have got the Better World gifts uh, that you can um, also, um, you could do all your Christmas shopping this morning if you would like to. Um, I'd like you to, uh, and uh, so you can come and have a look there too. So um, why don't I pray? Let's stand. We're going to sing another song, aren't we? Let's stand as I pray. God of love, light, life, you've called us to, do, to, to doing justice, asking us to act justly, to feed the hungry, to clothe the naked, to love faithfulness to walk humbly with you. Help us, Lord, to be obedient to your calling and asking. Lord, help each of us to live love, to relate with respect and compassion, sharing grace and hope, to have courage and conviction, passion and perseverance, to triumph what is just, right and good, so we may be a blessing. May we be a blessing, Lord, as each of us, as well as Baptist World Aid, Utilise your resources in an optimum way to address the challenges surrounding poverty. We pray for faster and long-lasting development, which will empower the poor and lift them out of poverty into the fullness of life you intend. Father, increase our sensitivity to the needs of this world and open our hearts that we may hear the cries of the poor as you do. Through your Spirit, shape us to be more and more like Jesus so that we live a life of grace and generosity and respond as your hands and your feet on earth. Help us to champion your plan for a better world for all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.